freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about... Just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> <laughs> The, the text, the texters are always measured, Brock. They're always a measured group. <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted by this. When the 509 says the Seahawks are a dumpster fire, they suck. Every fan is tired of the team showing up for game one unprepared. Fans are tired. It's not acceptable. Time to find a new coaching staff. This is oh not the way to run a team. Oh All talk, no walk. All right. Yeah. Well, 509, well, tone it down. See, as Morris said to you last yes. night. And on our text chain, it isn't just the Mariners fans, Oof. all right? That and they're not rooting against them, okay? It isn't just the Mariners uh, fans. It's a little different. We'll get, get to, a we'll get to that. That's a little bit different. Let's talk some Mariners with our friend Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider. Good morning, Shannon. You're home. You're back. It's been a while. It's good to be back, I think, and I think the guys are going to be really happy to open to wake up and not hotel beds this morning. How tired have they been the last week? It's been exhausting. And, you know, Scott Service has known this has been coming. We've all known it's been coming. I don't think anybody expected August to just roll into September. And it's as much as about where they are in the year and also just really kind of a tough schedule. Going to the East Coast is is very tough this time of the year, not having a day off. This is one of their longest stretches without a day off. And then an insane schedule while you were back there. You had a a night game in Cincinnati before you flew to Tampa. So they didn't get to the hotel until 2 a.m. before game one. And now they play again tomorrow or today after flying cross country. So there's definitely some road weariness in this. Take me to Friday night, Shannon, where you were and how everything unfolded. That's an interesting story, Brock. Um, (laughs) So... I we got time, the, Shannon. We got time. Okay. Yeah. The canvas well, is you. yours. Grab a, grab a cup of coffee here. Okay. Uh, went down into the bowels of the Tropicana Dome to, to get the manager. And I did a post-game show, so uh, I don't, I'm not usually there when the players speak. I'm there for the manager. And, you know, just a little bit more insight. You don't really go into the clubhouse very much right afterwards anyway. The Mariners are bringing players out. And once these, the players are brought out, you can go into the clubhouse. But there's not as much time spent in there so i go down i get scott and scott talks about the game and he's had all sorts of things about being proud of kirby for being out there and or not proud not anything overly effusive but yeah he did a great job out there and he was asked why he sent him back out in the seven and he looked at the reporter and just said bottom of the order seven eight nine you know he had done well against them all night pitch count was fine we're throwing him back out there I go upstairs, and this is where things got weird. So they had a big 90s concert at the Trop that night. And so I tried to do a post-game show in an open press box in a dome with Rob Bass, Vanilla Ice, and uh, someone else that I don't remember. DJ Uh, Eze Rock, hopefully. No. Well, interesting story. Tone Loke was supposed to be there, but had a medical emergency in the tunnel, so didn't make it out there. I hope Tone is okay, but uh, terrible sound system (laughs) all the way up. It's coming through my microphone. I could barely even hear the comments when they were played. I ended up going down the hall trying to do the postgame show on an IFB mic because I couldn't be in the booth. It was just terrible. 
So that's how I that's how it unfolded for me. And at that point, when the postgame show is done, it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, got to get back to Tampa. So, you know, there's nothing there's not much you can do. You might be able to make a, a call or two, but they're dealing with things You get to the park the next day. And one of the first things we are told is George Kirby would like to talk to you guys, you guys being the media. Mm-hmm. It was Shannon, some, what do you make of what he said? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, what's your reaction? I think probably very similar to what yours is, you know, a shock. And I think everybody was shocked, shocked by the words and the words. There were a few things actually in that interview that were concerning, but the biggest one was he didn't understand why he was back out there. He thought he had done his job. And I've the only other pitcher, and I'm not comparing him that I've heard anything close to is Eric Bedard, two totally different situations. George Kirby is Kirby is everything. Eric Bedard was not. So I, I, I don't want to put that on him. I think it surprised George himself that he said that. I mean, this is, in retrospect, when he had some time to think about it, um, this is a player that Scott Service, there is nobody he hates going out to the mound more to, to take out of a game than George Kirby. He is intensely competitive out there. He wants the ball. And I think that's where George surprised himself. Why wouldn't I want the ball at that situation? And I think there's been some introspection. You know, why was I thinking that at that point? It's September. I want to go out there. You know, this is a big game pitcher. This is a guy that came out of the bullpen for them for the first time in the postseason. This is a guy that pitched, you know, eight great innings against Houston in the final game in the postseason. He's been big for them in big games, and he wants the ball in that situation. And uh, I, I think that he was probably very much still processing something that was very disappointing for him last night. But I think it was an eye-opener for George, perhaps even a little bit more of an eye-opener for the Mariners, and that you've got a young pitcher who perhaps has not been processing things quite the right way. So a couple of follow-ups on that. First of all, we've heard Scott mention something regarding, you know, taking it when you don't want to. Virtually every day of this road trip, he praised Brian Wu for doing it. He talked about Bryce Miller and doing it. And then the George Kirby thing. Is this an issue? Like, is this something going on behind the scenes that we're not fully aware of? Like, why does this seem to be such a big conversation? Oh, I don't think so. I think that's just part of September. I think he's, you know, been very upfront. Everybody is, um, and, and that pitching staff is on fumes right now. And so, yeah, under normal circumstances, guys would be out an inning early and earlier in so many situations. And it's a little bit different with Brian Wu and Bryce Miller. Brian Wu, in particular, is he's been on very strict pitch counts. Mm-hmm. So if there was ever a surprise that he was in a game, I'm not even sure we would see that because they've been very good about that. And Bryce Miller is to a point where he's never been before yeah as far as pitching this deep into a season and you know while his innings are actually okay where he's at you know kind of the stress of your first season in the big leagues and learning on the job and games that matter so much more that's something that you have to keep an eye on and I don't think he knows where he is in a game to start with he he, last night you know he was asked did you want you know did you come out at the right time did you feel good about where you were at and he said honestly I have no idea um, where I was. He said, I want to be out there as long as I can possibly be out there. So I think Kirby kind of goes more into the bucket with Luis Castillo and with Logan Gilbert. Sure, he doesn't have the experience or the years that they do, but again, he's proven himself to be a big time pitcher, a big game pitcher. So of course you're going to push him when you have to. We got to get running here, Shannon. Last thing and question for me, how will we see with our eyes as we watch this team tonight at home, a team turn the page from a tired team to a team awoken for the final 19 what does that look like 
Well, I, I hope, you know, you see them feed off the electricity and the energy in the ballpark. That is something that is very real for them. I hope we see them put a run up early in the game. I hope J.P. Crawford is on base in the first inning. I think that is something that really kind of helps get get them going. I'm kind of curious to see what the before today looks like. Are they going to cancel batting practice? Are they going to get in there early? You know, how are they going to get ready for this one, knowing that they are as tired as they are? But I, I think you're going to see a team that pushes forward. And I can tell you the clubhouse yesterday I was in the clubhouse after the game yesterday they were fine yes this is a disappointing road trip as far as record goes but guys were upbeat um, they it, nobody was hanging their head uh, there was actually energy in the clubhouse after the game so I think they're very focused forward right now expectations for Kelnick tonight uh, can't wait to see him uh, you know, I, I expect good defense from him. I hope he gets on base and gets to to use his legs. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that is very driven. And, and, you know, just like all the others, you hope he keeps that in check. I, I'm sure he will. I think he's going to be very relieved and very happy to be back. Shannon, great stuff. Good great to catch stuff, up Shannon. with you. Glad you're back. We'll do it soon. Thank you, Shannon. You got it, guys. All right. Follow Shannon, our Mariners insider. And, uh, yeah, you got to – if you haven't heard the George Kirby comments, go find them. They're, they're very interesting. We spent a while on it at 730. Just go back and uh, and listen to that uh, podcast later today. Go download it. Well, first of all, why aren't you subscribed? It should be coming to your phone anyway. So uh, you can go find that, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is, you know, Spotify, right at seattlesports.com or on the Seattle Sports app. All right, Brock, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, give you everything you need to know, then get back to what it was that – we all saw yesterday a Seahawks game that was unfamiliar. It's not supposed to look like that. Why? We got takeaways coming at 8.30. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Not a lot of positives to take out of that loss for the Seahawks yesterday. The defense certainly was disastrous. No pressure whatsoever. Gave up a ton of yards and barely touched Matthew Stafford the whole game. 5% of his dropbacks. That's the only times they were able to generate any pressure at all. Hard to imagine. Their coverage was bad. The run defense still not that good. They didn't cause any turnovers. And most importantly, couldn't get off the field on third and fourth down, Rams 12 of 18 on the money downs combined. That is problematic. Cut one, Pete Carroll certainly disappointed with the way his team played. Yeah, I'm really surprised. Yeah, I am surprised. And, and I'm disappointed that um, that we weren't cleaner, you know. I mean, with this 13 to 6, you know, it's no big deal. We're, we're in pretty good shape. We moved the ball well in, in, in the first half and uh, really felt like we should be able to take the next step and take control of the football game. And I and, uh, thought we were in great shape to do that. It, uh, it's shocking to me now that that's we weren't able to take take advantage of that. You know, I, I don't care what the score is at halftime, you know, but I like being ahead, which we were, and I like the fact that we moved it. We also, they scored on the first drive, and they didn't score on any other drive. So we felt like we had a real shot. I don't think we were cocky at all. We surely didn't talk like that, but um, we didn't respond well enough. Nope, a program that preaches finishing, and it's all about the finish, not where they start. Just could not do that. A historic, it had been decades and decades and decades uh, since you had seen a half of offensive football, unfortunately, as inept as that one, but a three and out, a three and out, a three and out, and then a couple sacks on the finale before you don't do anything uh, leads to those kind of numbers. And on the flip side, down the field, down the field, down the field, no matter what you did, man, zone, pressure, Rams, McVay, Stafford had an answer. 
Yeah, it looked like a Super Bowl winning quarterback, Salt. And when you play Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and they get it going and they go five for five on that opening drive and you just infuse him and then these rookies around him like Puka Nakua with a 100-yard 11 reception day on you, you're asking for trouble and asking to dig out of a hole they could not come out of in that second half. Yeah, we'll talk to Pete Carroll about this coming up just over an hour from now. I think you'll want to be listening elsewhere in the NFL you know, there were some surprises, but a lot of chalk, right? The Niners looked exactly as good as they were supposed to. The Cowboys absolutely took it to and throttled the Giants last night. Green Bay looked real nasty and once again continued their ownership of Chicago. Cardinals maybe a little bit better than expected. And then uh, the Broncos lost to the Raiders. That was certainly entertaining. Just quickly, Brock, did you get a chance to watch any of Anthony Richardson and the Colts? Saw a few highlights. I watched a lot of that game as I was watching Red Zone. I found that that was the game I was most interested in by far. Well, because he's, he's 6'4", 255, and does yeah. things you're not supposed to do. It changes what your eyes look at the position. Pretty, he was pretty interesting. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm, I'm going to be following that career and jealous, I'm going to guess, for quite some time. Here's the second thing you need to know. Now, the Mariners weekend wasn't any better and probably worse given the time of the season for them. After winning the opener, they lose three straight in Tampa. Games two and three, both winnable as they had early leads. They managed to give back both of those. Yesterday, just got behind the eight ball early. Bryce Miller struggled and could never dig his way out of it. The biggest concerns? Well, for me, their pitchers look very tired. The starters, the relievers, you name it. And then you add to that the vocal gaffe from George Kirby. It just wasn't a pretty weekend for the M's. Now, the good news, they're back home. And you got to expect Jared Kelnick will be in the lineup playing left field today. Scott Service cut five. I think he's ready to be back in the friendly confines. Oh, we'll be energized tomorrow. Us and about 40,000 of our dearest friends. Uh, hopefully we'll be at the ballpark to, to get behind us. So and we need it. You know, we're dragging a little bit. Um, it happens uh, this time of year uh, at the end of a long, rough road trip. But uh, we'll be ready to go tomorrow. Uh, big series ahead of us, and we have to keep looking ahead because uh, we have a lot of big games going forward. Big series and looking ahead, man, 19 games. That's it. A little more than 10% of your season is left, and every one of them is going to be meaningful and matter. You're two and a half now behind the Astros. You're right there, what, half game up or game up on the Rangers in the wild card. It is going to be a sprint to the finish. The Rangers and Blue Jays, good news. They go at it over the next four. You get the Angels, a battered and beat-up Angels team as well. In your place for three, got to take care of business, and that means Logan Gilbert. And if there's anybody today in that starting rotation that I would want to have the ball to go eat up a bunch of innings, to go take the moment on, hey, Walter, come on out and go about seven or eight for your boys tonight. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, let's throw some credit at the college teams in state. They're about the only ones who had a good weekend. Huskies just took care of business. They destroyed Tulsa. Uh, is Tulsa any good? No. Okay, so the story is the Cougs, because Wisconsin is pretty good. They play in that Big Ten conference that didn't have any interest in the Cougs, yep. maybe because they're afraid of them. Cougs went and stomped them at home. Good on them. Jake Dickard, after the game, fired up for his kids. In this moment, it's everything. We belong in the Power Five. These kids have worked their ass off. I'm just so damn proud of them to double down in the moment. We're all we got. We're all we need. Brock, you know I generally am not a huge storming the field fan. 
all for it. Uh, that on was Saturday. Yeah, I uh, thought that was storm yep. the field worthy. Worthy. Yep. Top yes. twenty opponent from that Big Ten. You beat him in their house last year. You would have think, even though it's a new year with Luke Fickle, first year coach, that they would want to get some revenge and go into Pullman. Also had them. I know it ended up looking a little bit closer and give Wisconsin credit. They fought back a little bit, but they had a chance to blow their doors off, control it for most of that game. Yeah, and send a message to college football. The towns like Ames and Stillwater, Corvallis and Pullman matter. They matter. And I think it is fair to say nobody's done more in their athletic department with less than Wazoo. I've tweeted that before. I believe that wholeheartedly. They put that on display Saturday night and now become one of eight Eight in the top 25. One-third of the top 25 in college football exists in a conference that will go away in January. Unbelievable. There you go. That's everything you need to know. Quarter uh, quarter past every hour here in the Brock and Salk Show. Uh, you know who else I thought looked competent yesterday was Baker Mayfield. I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of that. I've watched some of that game. I thought Baker looked at least competent and Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit better than that in that offense. As I said, I thought Anthony Richardson was really fun. He's going to have some learning to do, and he threw a late pick, but he's pretty fun to watch. Uh, Brock, you told me about Zay Flowers. I didn't believe you because he went to BC and he's a Mm -hmm. wide receiver. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. He's interesting. He's one explosive dude. Dijon Robinson's touchdown was ridiculous. That was so cool. (laughs) Wow, he looks ridiculous. Uh, A couple guys I think the jury's still pretty out on. uh, Howell and Ritter. Wasn't like Mm -hmm. overly impressed Mm -hmm. with either of those guys. So just a a couple of uh, observations looking at the games yesterday. Pretty compelling theater, though. I mean, it just, you know, from start to beginning of the day, uh, obviously the the finale was an absolute utter blowout. But the biggest in that rivalry's history between Dallas and the Giants, still something you didn't really want to turn away from. Go go ahead. No, I was going to say, did you see Jeff Hostetler out there on the field last night? They had Phil Simms, Jeff Hostetler, and Eli Manning. The three Super Bowl winning quarterbacks for the Giants. Wow. I hadn't seen Jeff Hostetler in forever. It was funny seeing that him out his, there. That was his throat that Wyman punched. He punched his throat? Well, he put like a forearm in his throat, remember? Oh, and then geez. Kevin Gogan and him got, yeah, that's quite a history. Ask, ask Wyman about it. He, he's really happy to tell you the story. Yeah. He does like telling the story. Throat. All right, we got takeaways coming up next. It wasn't pretty, but there was a lot that went on, including one thing, Brock, that made me get something you like to call goose pimples. They're just goosebumps, but it certainly showed up yesterday. You'll hear about it on Brock and Salt. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. One hour from now, Pete Carroll will be here sitting down to talk through the mess that was yesterday's game. Specifically the second half. You can kind of live with the first half of that game. The second half obviously got way away from them as they end up there. Doors blown off 30-13 to 13 yesterday. Just wasn't supposed to go that way. And certainly going to raise a lot of questions about where this team is at heading into this season. Brock, some specifics from the game. Let's get to our takeaways. Takeaways. So much of the conversation, so much of it over the last nine months has been about this run defense. Can they stop the run? Did you do enough to stop the run? Are these the guys? Is this personnel? Is this the scheme? How are we going to stop the run? How many times, Mike Salk, and you and I talked about that over the last nine months? Free agency, the draft, mini camps, OTA, training camp, preseason games, and here it was, man. Game number one, Cam Akers, the other little running back, Kyron Williams. That dude, 
That dude's a little muscle ball, too. And, oh, Sean McVay, who's going to come out and really test your run, and he did. Six of the first seven plays were run plays, Salk. And he really did that, I think, to soften, to get to manageable third downs where they went five for five on an opening drive touchdown right down the field on you. There were two drives the entire first 17 minutes of the game. Seahawks field goal drive. And then the Rams ate up the entire rest of that first quarter and into the second quarter with their touchdown drive. My eye told me watching it, the run defense on early downs was way better. And then the numbers back up my eye. The Los Angeles Rams ran it 37 times on first and second down. 37 for 61 yards. I took Matthew Stafford's first down scramble out of that. So, you know, I guess you could say 37 for 70. But as far as the running backs go, Turning in a hand into him, that, that's 1.5 yards per carry. That's winning football. But unfortunately, 12 of 18 on third and fourth down is crippling football. So, and this that's is, funny, by man. the way, I, I and this, this is, differently from you. okay, and this is, by the way, remember when they used to stop the run, but they could not get home at all, and it was like, well, of course you're going to stop the run. There's Red Bryant, you know, and they had this huge group up there. Then they could not rush the passer at all. That's not the way this crew is built. You should be well, able to both stop the run and with Uchenna and Mafe and Dre and Jaron also get home. And the latter they did not do. The former, actually, they did do a pretty darn good job, you know, save I, I for the red zone. I see it differently from you because, uh, yes, you're right. Obviously, the numbers sort of show what the numbers show. But when the Rams needed to run the ball, third down, remember they had second and eight early in the game, they ran it for four, and then on third and four, what'd they do? They ran it again for nine yards. Yep. So when you needed to stop the run, you couldn't do it. Twice in the red zone, that dude ran for, what, nine yep. and whatever it was the other time. I mean, like, yep. yeah, I don't know, you can kind of skip, like, save all that. Like, yeah, you stopped the run when it didn't matter that much. When it mattered? But they, they couldn't do that over. last year. They could not stop the run in any capacity last well, year. Well, is, and is that because they were committing more resources to it this year? Not, and is not, that why guys were so open over the middle of the entire game? Not necessarily, no. Okay, good. No. I hope not. Nope, they weren't in their bare front a ton. They didn't have all these big heavies on the field. No, they, there were a lot of zeros, negative runs. No, I mean, one, were zero, they committing literally more players? Like, no. did they have guys nope. up in the box? Nope. Okay. Nope, they did a they did a fine job, a winning effort in that capacity. I don't know, man. I I I know the numbers show it. When it mattered, they seemed unable to stop the run. Takeaways. I'll start with my biggest positive of the day, and then uh, there's some others that were not quite as as positive mm-hmm. yesterday. But Bobby's intro was awesome, man. It was great. I went down to the uh, to the stadium yesterday pretty much just for that. I got legitimate chills, Brock. Full-on goosebumps <laughs> when he was introduced. I'm glad they started with the defense. I'm glad they had Bobby come out last. I don't know what kind of a game he had. We can talk through it. But what a cool moment that was. I hope, for Bobby's sake, that he took in all the love. I hope he remembers it. I hope he recognizes how special it was. That, honestly, like... There was nothing like that featured intro, right, last year at the... Like, that was amazing. I really thought it was a cool deal to see Bobby kind of turn around and spin and and take in the entire crowd. Uh, Pete Carroll speaking after the game. What cut is this? I don't know. Pete talked about it, how much he thought uh, it was nice to see Bobby recognized by the crowd. Matter of fact, I did. Yeah, I I, I thought that was amazing. Um, 
I felt it. You know, I felt the, the response of the fans to him. I think he played a really good ball game today. I, I couldn't tell all of it, but I thought he played really well today, and it was, meant a lot to him. I thought he did a really good job of being poised about it, like you would hope and expect he would, um, playing the, his old team and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, I thought that was an extraordinary statement by our, our fans of appreciation and love for the guy that had you know, given so much to this program and all that. And he deserves every bit of it, and, and I thought it was a perfect moment. Really. Yeah, comp that to last year's opening game, Brock, with Russ. Pretty different. Mm, yeah. Pretty different vibe. Yeah, and, and Bobby did a lot of things very well. I mean, 19 tackles on the stat sheet. Many of those runs that I talked about on early downs mm-hmm. coming up and setting the tone. and the, the rush, not great. Couldn't get home when they tried to bring him a few different times. The Rams targeted him and picked him up in some of those pass rush blitzes. But the whole group didn't get home. 5% of the time, you pressured Matthew Stafford. 5%! You're, just, you're not going to win in this league, not against a Super Bowl winning quarterback. You are just not. You're going to get exposed. And unfortunately, that happened on the back end too much. Takeaways. All right. Stafford had a pretty incredible success over the middle, and it looked like Kobe Bryant was kind of playing cleanup most of the game. I'm not sure, Brock, who you think, who you put that on most. But, you know, back in the day, you just weren't going to throw over the middle on the Seahawks because you had to pay for it. <laughs> like, who, yes. who was not stepping up enough yesterday? Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the shot here that uh, tracks kind of like a shot. You know, everything now is so easily found uh, online statistically. So it was just a passing chart of Matthew Stafford. And I'm looking at 11 completions right on the hash or inside the hash. 11. I mean, that is... In, in, and more, I would like to say it was one thing. It's not one thing. You play nickel. You play dime. There was a little bit of Kobe. There was a little bit of linebackers drops. There was a little bit of check downs that all of a sudden, you know, get checked down. And, and that back carries you for two, three, four more yards. There just was not one culprit to it. If it was, it would have been a little easier. That game. But do, as do I you said think to it's you like earlier. The lack of physical, like if, if Kobe Bryant would have just popped someone really hard. Like, don't you think that that deters a little bit of that i mean or i think that's just... honestly a little more julian love just okay. when you reference the middle of the field who was who was the enforcer in the middle of us earl thomas would saw you in half and cam chancellor would send your eyeballs backwards in your head so i, I thought julian love was pretty average yesterday you know made a made a little play late but i didn't think he came up and, and you felt him over the course of the game, Quandre was many times, as Sanchez said, that Julio Rodriguez, just deep center fielder. But, yeah, between Artie Burns, I mean, it's a whole crew. Every single one of those guys on Tell the Truth Monday is going to look in the mirror and go, just, we didn't do it. We didn't do it a man. We didn't do it zone. We didn't communicate. Uh, too many times I saw, like, in-breaking routes, and, and there was just a little hesitation defensively. It was kind of, hey, man, I thought you, no, no, I thought you, uh, I thought you, and once you do that, you let an offense get into rhythm and dictate, and that's what the Rams did throughout. Takeaways. Oh. I'm going to come back to my blue 88, and I'm going to ask Pete about it. I just, it really bothered me when Aaron Donald unloads on your quarterback and there is no payment for it. I've said to you, Salk, it's, it's hard. I love Dane Looker, right? Ohio State. Get to see them this week. Their QB and receiver played together in high school. 
in in Comacord and Marvin Harrison Jr. played at a prep school in Philly together, and now they play together at Ohio State. And I bet you they've like me and Dane have thrown a million passes together, and I love Dane. But if you had to say to me, who do you want to have the ball? And you go out there, and your first pick to go play a game of football, it would be Olin Krutz times a thousand, right in front of me, leading the huddle, coming out of the huddle, barking at a defense setting the whole tone for everybody on our team and when that oregon state guy nailed me and knocked the wind out of me one of the first times in my life i've had the wind knocked out of me (gasps) and i'm sucking for air because i have not had this feeling on a little scramble dude put his helmet right at my gut i'm like on all fours just like (gasps) and that dude standing over me and olin launched him 15 freaking yards for a 15 yard penalty i'm like i i love that man i want to play for for this guy and when Aaron Donald, on the holding call, so it's an offsetting penalty, doesn't even get penalized, he knocks Geno's face off in the first half, and nobody responds. Don't like that. Mm-mm. Well, don't the, like uh, that the one other, bit. The other uh, Aaron Donald moment that was sort of making the rounds afterwards here, cut fourteen. Did you hear Geno yell when Aaron Donald <laughs> was coming up the middle at him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Takeaways. Oh, oh, oh. Can I hear uh, cut 14? Justin, let me hear cut 14. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that guy's flying up the middle. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next takeaway, Brock, I'm going to go with DK Metcalf. What we saw at the end of the game. Dude, you can't do that. Oh. What is going on? How many times do we have oh. to see the same thing? With before it is clearly a problem for him and for the team. What is going on with DK Metcalf? We all watched it. He tossed the dude for no reason from behind. That is a dirty hit at the end of the game. And then he was asked to describe what happened. Cut 12. He must be describing another play because it has very little in common with what we all watched. Um, well, I was blocking. and I guess I blocked him a little too hard and uh, pushed him to the ground and he got up mad because um, he felt like I blocked him in the back. But, um, I mean, this is how I play. I, I block every play uh, when I don't have the ball, and I'm never taking a playoff or jogging trying to take a playoff. So that's what transpired. I see I know their coaches true. yelling at me or saying something to me and their players, and you know, I let that get to me, and I retaliated. And, you know, the second man always gets called. So just got to be better in that aspect. That, that's not even reality. I mean, honestly, no, that's just like that's like you're talking about Richard a Sherman play. delusional. That's delusional. Richard Sherman delusional. That's 100% delusional. And, and quite frankly, I don't like it. I don't like any part of that. I want my team to play hard, Brock. I absolutely want them to come back. And, you know, if you have to take a 15-yard penalty to hit somebody after your quarterback gets hit to show, you know, that you define, so be it. But that's dirty Dude, That cool. was a sucker punch. Yes, that was a that. sucker punch. You came back around his blind side, and then you unloaded on him. It was yep. cheap. It was dirty. It it absolutely lit Sean McVay up like the 4th of July. And did you see their whole sidelines respond? Gino gets his face knocked off, right, and, and, and penalized. And it, you hit your quarterback. You don't see anything like that right. from that reaction of that head coach yeah, and the rest of their right. sidelines. They were infuriated. It was dirty. It's not the look you want, DK. Hey, DK, you want the country seeing that? That, that? You go block him 
face to face. You go bury him into the sideline, play through the did. whistle. Earlier, I saw DK with a great block early in the game on a on a toss sweep where he absolutely helped spring yes. Ken Walker for a great run. You're a good blocker, but you can't do that. Here was Pete Cut Eleven asked after the game about those penalties. Uh, I thought we we lost our, our minds a little bit, and, and uh, we'll talk about that. Um, that shows you the frustration and based on the expectations that we were going to be better and, we're, and not in that situation. And uh, I, I, I don't like seeing this look like that. It looks terrible. And uh, we'll talk about that. I'm, I'm not, that's, that's not um, something that I'm concerned about. You know, we've got to be in that situation, and we're going to make better decisions than that. Well, I appreciate Pete saying that, and I, you know, I'm glad to hear that he agrees. But I don't know. At, at this point, it's been enough times with DK yep. that it is something that I'm concerned about because it seems to yep. be happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. Takeaways. Oh, me again? Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, so... It's week one, and I know we shouldn't overreact, but it makes me a little nervous that the Seahawks looked like the worst team in the division. The 49ers dominated the Steelers. I kind of thought maybe Brock Purdy would look a little different coming off that surgery, or they might have some growing pains, but that didn't happen. Just fine. The Rams dominated the Hawks, and then the Cardinals, I was actually really impressed. I don't know how good their offense is going to be, but they had six sacks, two fumble recoveries, and an interception on defense, so they're not going to be easy to play either. So a little, I don't think this division is just going to be a two-team race like everyone thought it might be. <laughs> yes. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, I'm not yes. sold on the Cardinals. I watched some of that. I thought Washington played uh, terribly as well. Like, I don't think that was just the Cardinals. I think that was sort of a week one deal, and also the Washington was bad. But yeah. your point is still well taken. San Francisco looked unbelievably good, Brock. That was almost a perfect football game. Dismantled the Steelers in their building. I mean, all the talk of Pickens and Pickett and, oh, an improved offensive line, and they went in there and embarrassed them. I mean, just broke their broke their will and did whatever they wanted. Run, pass, play pass, shots, explosive plays. I mean, they were they were awesome. That's the, that's the most – um, Dallas 40 nothing. Okay, Dallas was the number one most impressive win. San Fran was number two. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia looked human. I mean, New England came back in the rain up there in the Northeast. They Green looked a little Bay bit human. Number three. Green Bay is probably up there as well. Uh, Maura, really your good. point is well taken. Stacy said the same thing. Mark Sanchez said it to us last Thursday. Be careful. The opening weeks are the first time many of these guys have played together. Right? You just don't see it. Seahawks defensively, especially Salk. And, and this is maybe part of my next takeaway, too. Remember, Mike Morris is out there. Guys are out there. Daryl Taylor is out there. There's Bobby's playing for the first time in playing the preseason. There is some, some communication issues, some nickel and dime stuff you didn't show in the preseason is out there. So let's not just rush to crown everybody and overreact after week number one. But there's a lot of illumination and plenty of things to fix for a bunch of teams around this league. Takeaways. Man, I thought Sean McVay was all over it. All over it yesterday. He and Kyle Shanahan, and Steve Sarkeesian, by the way, that's the tree. I talked to Sark about this when we had Texas in the opener. I said, and this is kind of a question that I ask these guys now that I never did years ago, Salk. I said, who do you still learn from? Steve Sarkeesian, the offseason, when you want to grow and you want to be refined and you want to challenge yourself, who do you learn from? And he's like, funny, man, Kyle Shanahan was down here in Austin for three days. 
just talking shop with us and growing and developing our game and vice versa. And, you know, as he went through that tree, man, Matt LaFleur, whoa, pretty good start for Jordan Love in Green Bay, right? <laughs> uh, LaFleur's little brother, who's on Sean McVay's staff there with the Rams. So, yeah, pretty good start in Kyle Shanahan as well. I mean, these guys are innovative. They're creative. You can't be right. When the Seahawks played zone, they had answers. When they played man, they had answers. You saw Mark Sanchez, I don't know, 25 times drop pre-snap movement, right? All that pre-snap movement with Tutu Atwell and others to try to just put that defense in a little bit of thinking mode. Okay, here comes that jet sweep. Oh, here comes it. Oh, you know, and as KJ said to us last Wednesday, I hate playing them guys. They're hard. He makes it brutally difficult because he makes it all look the same, but it's it's not. And, uh, man, I thought he called a terrific game and had the Seahawks on their heels. I know Pete said they only scored seven in the first half, <laughs> and they did because you blocked a field goal and they missed a field goal. But they scored 23 unanswered in the second half and put their foot on the pedal. Takeaways. Oh, man, a couple different directions we could go here, but uh, let's just wonder this, Brock. Should they have played more in the preseason? I'm not saying that every team needs to play in the preseason. Clearly, Dallas didn't, and they looked uh, just fine yesterday. So I'm not saying that's like the rule. You should play more in the preseason. And generally, I was not critical of it because I don't like seeing the guys play that much in the preseason. I fear more the injuries than Mm -hmm. I do anything else. But when you come out and lay an egg like that, especially, you know, the defense throughout the whole game and the offense in the first half, or in the second half, rather, it's it's, it's hard not to, to wonder whether or not some of those guys would have benefited from a few more reps. Now, with the rookie class, yeah, they weren't healthy. Moore has been on this some from the beginning, and I'll come back to something mm-hmm. I've said a long time. Never trust rookies. Never count on them. Last year was great, but it was an anomaly to get that much productivity from your rookie class. You can't count on rookies. You don't know if they're going to be available. You don't know if they can help. And you don't know how they're going to handle the actual size and speed of the players that are going to be around them in the NFL. Some of them are going to be better than others. So you just can't count on rookies. Add in the fact that most of this rookie class was beat up throughout the entirety of training camp. And then the other guys who didn't play at all. I think it's fair to at least wonder. I'm not criticizing because I don't know that I would have done it any differently. I think it's kind of a catch-22 of how to handle these stupid preseason games. But I think there's a real question today as to whether or not they were fully ready to go. Well, we talked a lot. And Mora played a bunch of cuts over the offseason and communication, communication, communication. What does that look like? What does communication look like? And can you truly football communicate, Salk? With a madhouse and home field where it is rocking for you and you've got new packages that you've not run, as you said, in live game, actual NFL action. You've done it on the practice field. You've done it in walkthroughs. But here's Nickel. Here's Dime. Right? Here's Daryl Taylor. Here's Bobby communicating with Devin Bush. Here's here's their first time as a group with Bobby in there, you know, playing this thing. And, yeah, I think that there were there were some bumps in the road, no question about it. I want to end this here because I want to ask you a question. Great job with takeaways today, Brock Mora. Uh, awesome, and and it's a you know kind of a crummy game. L- let me bring this up because I I, I kind of want to go a different direction at nine o'clock and and come back to some of the decisions that they made this off season and revisiting a few of those today, Brock. Mm-hmm. But just reading the text line throughout the day, reading you yeah. know whatever other garbage mad, is right? online. Really huh? mad. Really mad. They are mad, but there's one person that I would say is is in the hot. Pete. You know, the, it, it's Pete. It's Pete. It is mostly criticism of Pete. Yep. And you know, there's a lot of different reasons, but Brock, we, here's one. Brock, we all know Pete's a master motivator, but has he lost his edge as a coach? 
is one of the questions. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not surprised because we've seen this before. And the moment anything goes wrong, people come right back to the things that they've been upset about, even when there's been a lot of evidence to the contrary recently. Yep. They'll just come right back to the thing they're worried about, and that is Pete and his age or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Did you think Pete was the problem yesterday? It starts with Pete. He, he's going to say it to us in mm-hmm. 35 minutes. It starts with me. You know, emotionally, did he have his guys ready to play with a big, huge chip on their shoulder? When I hear Gino and DK both say what they said after the game, Salk, that's an indictment, right? I mean, and, and, and Pete's going to own that. I didn't have them emotionally ready to play. Can, I, I know we're up against it here. Give me cut number two, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Justin. This is your quarterback. And DK said the same thing after the game. Here's Gino speaking about just the edge that both teams played with. You know, that's something that we got to get better at. We got to understand that we got to go earn it every single play, every single down, uh, every single game. And like I said, it's the NFL. I know we got a lot of young guys who, for their first time, are playing regular season football and uh, might not know how hard you got to play to go out there and get wins, but they don't come easy. And so um, I think this is going to be a great learning experience for us. I think we can look at these moments uh, later on down the season and, and say that we, we gain from it. But, you know, obviously it stings today, and uh, it sucks. It really does. It sucks. I hate losing. Um, you know, I don't like losing, but the one thing I do know about this team and myself is that we're going to get back to work and uh, come tomorrow, you know, really starting tonight. You know, I'm going to get back to work and fix things and, and figure out how to be better for next week. Yeah. I mean, they outplayed us. They wanted it more. They played with that chip. They played as, you know, the Seahawks did last year as total underdogs with no expectations and cut it loose and absolutely let it rip. And certainly in that second half, Salk, you started to see that erode offensively and defensively. It just eroded. Those Rams dictated. So it starts with the head coach. He, I, I expect when he comes in the room, he will take total ownership of that. Do, but do I believe that he's lost his X's and O's? Do I believe that he's lost his feel for the game? Do I believe that he's not going to get these things cleaned up? Absolutely not. And I got 14 years of evidence in last year, some of the best coaching evidence of his career here in Seattle yeah. to tell otherwise. So No, just this year, Brock. He's, forgot how, he's forgotten the X's and O's between last year and this year. It is an emotional emotional game he's an emotional guy his team lost their emotional cool yesterday well i can't blame fans for being absolutely irate and mad at that 23 nothing in the final 30 minutes in your home building against those guys yesterday that cannot and should not happen in a year of expectation so yeah there's there's blame to be cast there's tell the truth monday and this should be a pretty good one with pete in in 35 minutes